0: RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Well, we try and keep you in touch with what's happening here, but we also try to keep you in touch with what's happening around the world. A lot happening in the United States, and who better to update us than Adam Crichton, the Australian's Washington correspondent, who joins us now from Washington, D.C., I'm presuming, Adam. Is that yes, that's you, right, Paul. Yes, I'm, I'm
1: sitting in Foggy Bottom at the moment, which is right in the heart of the city in my apartment. And uh, I've just actually come from the Wall Street Journal newsroom, actually, where I went to what they call Nacho Thursdays, which is a social gathering of journalists in the newsroom. Uh, so I just caught up with some old colleagues. I used to work at the Journal in 2016. It was the first first day I'd been back, actually, in seven years. So it was nice to see some of them. Uh, and I've just come back to my apartment and now I'm talking to you.
0: Nacho's Thursday. Okay. Yes. Something something that we could do here. All right. Um, You just reminded me my first visit to Washington, D.C. was in 89, you know, just doing a road trip through that part of the country and through Washington, D.C. And we rocked up at the White House in front of the lawn on a beautiful uh, sunny day. I can't remember exactly what time of the year it was, but it was a sunny day. There wouldn't have
1: been a fence there then. Now there's a fence, a a big black fence that ruins the view.
0: When you were there,
1: that would not have been there.
0: You know, there was an iron sort of wrought iron fence, which you could see through very easily. and um, a couple of fire trucks rocked up, and uh, I thought, oh, something's going to happen here. let's let's stay here for a bit. And then Marine One came in, landed on the lawn, and Barbara Bush and a little dog got out.
1: <laughs> That's, that sounds that? pretty cool. That sounds pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. uh, no look, it's a bit depressing going out of the White House. Now, like I say, there's this massive black fence which obscures, the view for any tourist, you can't take a proper photo of the White House because you get black bars in it. Um, And I think that, I mean, to me, that's a symbol of how uh, governments throughout the Western world are scared of their people.
0: Yeah, yeah, good point. Uh, We had a similar thing here, though, that have gone now, um, obviously, uh, when the uh, pushback against COVID happened. But yeah, you're right. It seems to be something. There's a lot of, what, fear that um, the establishment have? They think people are going to come over the fence?
1: Yeah, look, I think that's true. I mean, I think the past three years, you know, the middle class, the lower class throughout Australia, New Zealand, Western world have had a really rough time. You know, they've become a lot poorer and they've seen the elites in those same countries become richer or at least maintain their wealth and they're getting angry about it. And I think, you know, you see governments, whether it's France, the United States... Uh, UK, there's a lot of anger. And, uh, and you know, it, like, I think it's going to get worse, actually. Uh, wow, really? So there might be, you know, they might need to extend the fence. <laughs>
0: yeah, double layer. All right. <laughs> um, I want to get to Trump. I want to get to woke corporations and uh, and a few other things. But let's start, it seems we're talking about the White House with who is in the White House, and that's Biden. And uh, we carried the report here uh, last week, mid-last week, of the Oversight Committee holding, they called it an historic news conference, you, you can tell us if it was or not, um, regarding Biden family crimes and corruption. Now, how, how big is this? How, how far into the consciousness of the average American is this? I mean, that's, a, you know, it's quite a, a powerful news conference. Uh, what, what do you think about yeah.
1: that? Well, look, it could be very big. Uh, You know, certainly there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that the Biden family received millions of dollars from foreign corporations and individuals when Joe Biden was vice president uh, and after he left the White House. Uh, There's no smoking gun proof yet that he was being influenced by foreign nationals for any sort of policy purpose. Uh, But, you know, what I do find extraordinary is that You know, there is a lot of circumstantial evidence. And just this week, the House Oversight Committee, which is now controlled by Republicans, they presented a lot of evidence, well, which is all factual, that their Biden family created, I think, 20 corporations and they received, you know, something like upwards of $10 million of cash from from foreign nationals over a long period. And that money was farmed out to various Biden family members, including uh, Joe Biden himself, I believe uh and you know that that's it's just circumstantial we don't know why those payments were made but you would have to think right given the biden family doesn't do anything apart from politics that the payments must have been made uh for for favors of some sort or or you know policy purchases of some sort uh but you know which to me is a big story and i've written about it a bit in the australian but I must say the US mainstream media, which, you know, which is 80% uh, diehard Democrat, has paid very little attention to it. Um, so I think until there is a smoking gun, and who knows whether there will be or not, but I think until, they, until there is, uh, the ordinary American uh, is not going to know about it. That's incredible, actually. Oh, it is. It is because, because I mean, I'm not you know, massively pro-Trump in any way. I like to think of myself as pretty objective, but but I just think if the shoe was on the other foot and if these transactions were found out about the Trump family, it would be, at least I think, it would be 24-7 attacks Oh yeah, uh, from the mainstream media. But it's largely a blackout, actually, um, which, you know, I find really bizarre and also sad. I mean, I'm a... I mean, I'm a mainstream media journalist. I have been for 11 years and it's my industry. It's my job. Um, and, you know, I mean, I'm just a very small cog in, in the huge enterprise. But, but it does sadden me that my industry takes so little interest in this.
0: Yeah, one of the representatives I think made the point that, uh, you know, when it comes to Trump, um, and he, he obviously is worth a lot of money. People know he's in business and all that can be tracked. But when it came to the Biden family, I think the quote was, He has no business.
1: <laughs> well, that's exactly right. I mean, they are literally the embodiment of the political class. I mean, Joe Biden, so Joe Biden is, you know, the uh, characteristic politician. I mean, he's never done anything else. He's been in politics since he was 29. I mean, he's obviously been very successful, he's now president. Um, but yeah, he's never done anything else. Uh, and, look, I mean, I don't know the truth of the matter. I mean, it's very interesting that Joe Biden says point blank, he's done nothing wrong, his son's done nothing wrong. Uh, you know, he says that over and over again. Um, and, I, you know, he says it in a charming sort of grandfatherly, avuncular way. I mean, he's a likeable kind of guy. Uh, I mean, despite his, you know, cognitive decline, he's hard to hate. Um, but... You know, may, I mean, just, just in recent months, I've started to think maybe he's actually lying. I mean, wow. I, mean I don't know. I don't know, of course. But, but there are these transactions we just discussed, and you have to wonder, why would, why would these Ukrainian and Chinese companies be paying several millions of dollars to the Biden family? Um, like, for what service? I mean, I just don't know.
0: Consulting on gas.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure Joe Biden knows a lot about the insides and outs no, no, of the that, gas industry. No,
0: no, that's Hunter. That's Hunter. He's the guy. Oh, person. yes, an
1: expert, of course, an expert in the gas industry.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they've been headhunting him all around the world and, and Ukraine got him.
1: I mean, it does look, I mean, you'd have to say it looks very fishy and very embarrassing. And, I mean, privately, I've been saying to people, I don't think Joe Biden will be the candidate in 2024. I mean, I know he's announced that and I know that's the expectation, but... I mean, it's still one and a half years away, which is a long time. And during that time, his brain is going to decline further and more of this other stuff will come out at the same time. And I still, and and if you look at the polls right now, Trump is way ahead of Biden in national polling, which is not being publicized very much by the mainstream media here because they don't want to believe it. They, they ignore it. I mean, I did a tweet last week, which I thought was funny, maybe no one else did, but but the Washington Post did this poll and, you know, it's hardly a right-wing organisation. So they did their uh, routine poll and, of course, they wrote the poll up in the Washington Post and in the 15th paragraph, the 15th paragraph mm-hmm. was the fact that Trump was leading Biden by seven percentage points in the national poll, which, I mean, as a, as a news journalist of the Australian, if I had have been given that poll just as an objective journalist, that would, have been the first, that would have been the first par to me. And, you know, that's, like, that's just my training. I mean, as a news journalist, you're like, what is the sexiest thing in this poll? And, I mean, to me, that is, right? Don't you think? That's pretty amazing. That to- um, Totally. Spite, and yeah. yet it was in the 15th paragraph. So, I mean, to me, that, that really stood out, uh, just, just how much the mainstream media here do not even want to report the fact that Trump is way ahead in the polls.
0: <clears throat> yeah, that's kind of crazy from uh, the professional angle, as you as you just mentioned. But it just lacks common sense in reporting, doesn't it? At, at the most, yes, basic it does. Level. I mean,
1: the the media here. I mean, I haven't written a column about it yet, but I've been mulling it over in my mind. It's 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 extremely biased. I mean, it's very polarized. I mean, it's there really isn't a mainstream outlet that is completely neutral, really. Um, yeah, well, you know, Tucker, I, think, I think Tucker Elon-
0: Carlson's been talking about that. He's made some very clear points on that uh, in the last. No, he did, and that was a very time. good
1: tweet. I think it was seen by 25 million people or something a few days wow. ago. And I mean, he's right. And actually, Elon Musk made a good statement about that too. He said all media, to some extent, is propaganda. And I mean, that is that is true as a, as a factual observation. I mean, it's a matter of extent because I mean, you know, if there's a 700 word news article, 600 word news article, obviously some facts are chosen and, and some others aren't. Uh, and so, you know, that, that, that and that's that's the discretion of the journalist who's writing the story. Um, so that's true. But, but nevertheless, I mean, as someone who's been a journalist for 11 years, I, you know, like to think that most journalists, and I include myself in this, uh, when I write a news story, I really do try to be as fair as possible.
0: Uh, yeah.
1: But I don't think that's true for a lot of mainstream journalists, which really saddens me. Okay, you
0: mentioned uh, Biden and the poll rating for him, and way behind Trump. RFK Junior seems to have really injected some energy into yes. and anticipation into this, and probably on both sides of the aisle too, is the impression I get. He's come out and said some very strong things. I don't know if you caught up with him or how no, widely was. I have. Reported that that he was basically fingering the CIA for the death of his uncle, you know, bare face.
1: Well, look, I wrote a column about that back in January. I I kind of went down the rabbit hole with the JFK assassination in December. Just I had a bit of time off, and I just binge watched various, various documentaries about it. And I mean, I'd never I you know, I'd never paid much attention to it before, but honestly, it's it's extraordinary. I mean, there are a lot of strange facts about that situation that. Left me thinking, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist by nature, because I think people are too stupid to sustain conspiracies. But but nevertheless, it was, I mean, it, I mean, I was left thinking that it's 50-50 chance that he was uh well well at the very least, the CIA knew about it or knew it might have happened, right? I mean, that's that's a different statement from saying they killed him. Um, <clears throat> but certainly I was left with. Well, I just thought it was, you know, there were just so many things that happened that day in Texas that were very strange. I mean, the main ones being, I don't know, you know, how long you want to get in this, but, I mean, the route was changed at the last minute. You know, the autopsy was changed. The bullet went through the front of him, not the back. Uh, I mean... That's a hard one to explain. It is very hard, and it was covered up very much so. And, of course, the Warren Commission was run by Alan Dulles, who hated JFK and was sacked by JFK, which, you know, it seems a strange choice to run the, you know, to run the commission that looked into the the assassination. I don't know. And you know, my my more rational conventional central banking background says that mm. you know that can't possibly be a be a conspiracy. But I must say it's the mountain of evidence which actually JF, which actually rfk mentioned a lot this week in, in various interviews there's there's a lot of evidence to suggest that the cia at least knew that there may have been a possibility that you know he was going to be killed and that's that's pretty profound stuff right it is, I yeah, mean, it is. and and also it's worth pointing out as as rfk also said that there's still a couple of hundred documents which have not been released, despite the fact there's this law that says they should have been released by 2017, I think. And, and they haven't been, and even Trump didn't do it, and Biden didn't do it. So, so I mean, it seems to me the institution of the CIA is very powerful, and they do not want these final documents released. But, you know, the good news is I think you're young enough, and I'm young enough too, that in our lifetimes they're going to be released, and we will have more information.
0: What did Chuck Schumer say, that the security agencies ha- have seven, seven ways of whatever he said to, to get you?
1: <laughs> no, he did make a funny comment, and I can't remember the exact words, and he probably didn't mean it, <laughs> but, but I think it was quite telling. Uh, you know, the CIA is a, you know, I mean, I don't know, I'm just speculating, but from what I've read, it's, it seems to me to be a very powerful institution for many decades which has done many things that even the executive didn't know about. I mean, wasn't there that thing back in the 60s or 70s where they actually bumped off the head of the UN in a plane over Africa? I mean, I can't remember the guy's name. Yeah, that, I vaguely but,
0: remember that, yeah. But, yeah. I
1: mean, you know, that's just one example. Um, you know, I can't remember the exact figure, but, I mean, it's astonishing to Australia and New Zealand audiences the sheer funding of, of these institutions. I mean, I wrote a story about it recently, but but something like the security intelligence agencies get something like 85 billion US dollars a year, right? Which is, you know, that's 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 enormous. I mean, well that's probably bigger than the New Zealand government budget. <laughs> I'm just yeah, guessing. I, I think it's but it, it probably, probably
0: is heading to half at least and yeah, um, I mean, probably about a fifth of, a of our GDP.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a lot for you know what are meant to be kind of niche organizations, right?
0: You do a lot with $85 billion. Um, Just staying on RFK one moment longer, is there a sense that he, well, he looks like and sounds like a real contender, um, you'd have to say he was, right?
1: Well, look, I mean, I'm biased and I want to put it out there. I like him a lot. And I went to his campaign launch in Boston a few weeks ago. Um, I like him because he believes in things. I mean, I don't agree with him on everything, but I just crave, I think, like many Americans, like, like many citizens of Western countries, Crave a politician who actually has principles and believes in things, and is well-read and is and is eloquent. And and RFK to me is all of those things. Um, I mean, he you know he's devoted his life to 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 fighting corporations who pollute. I um, mean, he took a stand on vaccines, which proved very controversial. And I don't you know I don't know whether it's right or wrong. I've not read the science myself, but you know, but I'm not the sort of journalist who <laughs> you know, who just agrees with the talking points of the establishment, uh, because I don't know if they're true or not. And, you know, frankly, we just had three years of this COVID, you know, BS, where I think a lot of people have realised that actually the establishment's viewpoint on things is often very wrong. Um, And so I think that, uh, you know, I think RFK's view on vaccines is going to be nowhere near as politically toxic and as as it might have been in uh, 2019, because I think, you know, the masses now, so to speak, have seen very clearly in their day-to-day life that the establishment is often very wrong. Uh, So I don't think calling him an anti-vaxxer 24-7, which is currently the response of the mainstream media here. I mean, you will not see a mainstream media article that, that does not refer to him as an anti-vaxxer, which is, I think, very unfair because he's not. I mean, he he's not intrinsically anti-vaccine. He questions the testing around some vaccines and the number of vaccines and the regulatory relations around them. And you know, I mean, I don't see anything wrong with that. I mean, I mean, in fact, he said recently, and again, I haven't I haven't checked it, but he said that kids in the US. Get twenty six vaccines, you know, kind of before they're five or six. You know, I mean, I think I got four or something, (laughs) you
0: know, when I was a kid. Same, even less. Uh, You know,
1: what was it? Diphtheria, measles. You know, a few other things. Um, But now there's a lot, and you know, as someone who by nature is is skeptical of power, I obviously wonder whether whether part of the reason there are 26 vaccines in the US is because of lobbying from, you know, some of the most powerful companies in the world.
0: It's a great business model if you can keep everybody coming back.
1: Of course, it's tremendous. And I mean, the COVID vaccines were, you know, a hundred billion dollar windfall. And yeah, let's be honest about those. I mean, I wrote a column in 2021, you know, which I kind of regret actually uh, because I, you know, I guess I, you know, I believe the authorities too. And I said, well, you know, they're producing these vaccines and they shouldn't be compulsory, but you should take them. And then they turned out to be massively oversold. I mean, colossally. Uh, I mean, they they didn't do any of the things that that were said. And oh, uh, uh, New Zealand and Australia were, you know, frankly, the worst example of this. And I think, I think the establishment privately would be extremely embarrassed, but they would never say it publicly. Yeah.
0: No crickets on that. Let's move to Trump. And um, at the end of last week, uh, it made a bit of news here, but I see all around the sort of uh, the online news sphere. It, it was big. And that was the CNN town hall, New Hampshire, I think is where it was held Yeah, uh, on C- yeah Trump on CNN uh, with, uh, I think the host Caitlin Collins, who Trump described as nasty. But thing, um, yeah. how did that go
1: go down? Well, I watched it last night. It was about one and a half hours. And, um, you yeah, look, it was entertaining. And let's face it, Trump is an entertainer. I mean, that's why he's so successful. I mean, I think, uh, you know, Caitlin Collins, poor thing, she's only 31. Uh, this is very young to be interviewing a former president in in that sort of environment. Yeah, I mean, she got a lot of crap on social media, but I thought she actually did well. She tried very hard to correct him on various issues. Uh, but, you know, he just steamrolled her. I mean, he's a much older man. You know, it, you know it's, a, it's a difficult dynamic for a young woman to dominate a man like that. Um, and I think the verdict is that that, that he annihilated he her uh, rhetorically. I mean, I don't, I mean, it was interesting. The audience was all Republican, which I, which I didn't realise until I watched it. Um, and I don't know why CNN did that. I really think they should have put some Democrats in there. So so the audience was very supportive of Trump and he played up to that. He got a lot of laughs, a lot of claps. Um, I mean, he said a lot of things that were wrong. I mean, I'm not a huge Trump fan, really. I mean, I you know, I thought he served a valid historical purpose, but I really wish he'd move on. But, but, um, but he rhetorically won the evening, I think. Um, he's... I mean, to my mind, it's wrong. He's obsessed with 2020. I mean, he keeps saying that he won. I mean, I don't doubt the fact there was uh, fraud. There was fraud in every election. That's just a truism, right? It's just a question of extent and whether you can prove it. right? I mean, there's there's been fraud in elections as long as democracies existed. Um, but it's true that Republicans have had no success in proving any of this alleged fraud. And... You just have to move on. I mean, it was three years ago. He's just got to drop it. Uh, But he's not dropping it. I mean, honestly, a fifth of the, you know, a fifth of the 70 or 80 minutes he spoke, it, it seemed like he just kept droning on about how the 2020 election was stolen. And I, although the perception from social media is that he won, I think that he talked too much about it. I mean, the audience were pro-Republican, they were pro-him. I think he's got to drop it. But to me, it seemed, he seems incapable of dropping it. And I think in 2024, if he's on the campaign trail talking to moderate voters and he's still saying that something that happened three and a half years ago or whatever was a fraud, I think that's going to be damaging to him. Um, I mean, personally, I'm a more Ron DeSantis supporter, but... You know, it seems that his campaign's imploded for whatever reason. He's just, you know, his polling numbers have collapsed. Uh, So you'd have to say right now Trump's going to be the nominee. And as even John King said on CNN, I mean, Trump could well be the next president. I mean, he's leaving Biden in all the polls. I mean, as we said earlier, not very much uh, reported because I think the mainstream media are in horror, but he is. Yeah, um, and
0: having him on CNN was an interesting thing. And I want to um, move to what could get in the way of him, you know, maybe ending up president again. And that is the legal issues that he's been facing. There's the um, the rape trial that's been going on. And I think that uh, he was found guilty of sexual assault in the end, wasn't he? And um, they're appealing that. And then there's the connection to, January 6th because the Proud Mm. Boys have have gone down and there's talk that they'll come for Trump on that as well and maybe even because there's a precedent now set with the Proud Boys and others uh, from that uh, time uh, that you know they could try and incarcerate him while he's on bail Uh, uh, can 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 America handle that do you think
1: Well, look, I mean, it's, you know, it's really interesting. As Trump said last night on CNN, and he was very correct about that, it was probably the most correct thing he said all night was that, sure, you know, I've been charged, but every time I'm charged, my poll numbers go up. And he's right. I mean, when he announced back in November, most journalists, including me, I must say, I was wrong, uh, were writing him off. You know, they said it was a joke. They made fun of him, uh, like, in his announcement in November. But since then, literally, his support has doubled, which no one would have predicted, right? And that's, and that's throughout the, you know, all these cases, the New York case, uh, the rape case. So clearly there's a very large share of Americans who just do not believe the verdict. You know, they do not, they do yeah. not agree with the verdicts and, and they believe his rhetoric about biased juries, biased judges and so forth. I mean, I've got some sympathy with it. You know, I mean, the US is so polarised that certain regions like New York and Washington are so incredibly Democrat that it's very hard to draw a jury who's unbiased. I mean, for instance, in Washington, 93% of people voted Democrat in 2020. I mean, you compare that to, you know, uh, Canberra, which I know. I don't know Wellington, but I assume it's the same. But the two-party preferred in Canberra is something like 60-40. So a lot of people still vote for the Liberal Party in Canberra. And I assume that's probably the case in Wellington. But yeah, in Washington, so, for yeah. instance, but for Washington, seven percent of voters vote Republican, right? That's insane, right? I mean, so you bait and New York is you know, Manhattan is basically the same. So it's very hard to draw a fair jury because you know everyone's exposed to the media and people either like or loathe Trump. And and the concentrations of loathing Trump are in those those cities I just mentioned. Um so I do have some sympathy. I mean I also think the law that he was charged under is an obscene, ridiculous law. I mean, the New York State Legislature passed a law last year or the year before which basically allowed people to claim sex crimes uh, whenever they occurred in the past. So there was no statute of limitations. So so this woman apparently, uh, Carol, who you mentioned, she couldn't even remember whether the rape occurred in 95 or 96, right? I mean... You know, I mean, I think if I was raped, I'd remember at least which year it occurred in. It
0: would be uh, one I of mean, the most traumatic things that ever would well, have happened. Yeah, that's right. To and, you and she couldn't life.
1: remember that. And there's all this other stuff, you know, she wrote a book. Uh, you know, she only mentioned the rape when she was writing the book. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that that, you know, is a red flag to me. Uh, but of course, if a jury is, you know, is predisposed to hate someone, then it doesn't, then none of this matters. Um, So, look, he's got to pay $5 million. I don't, I mean, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an expert in the US legal system. His lawyers are going to appeal. I assume they appeal to the Supreme Court of of New York. Uh, I've got no idea what happens in that case, whether the jury's drawn from a wider geographic region in New York, because, of course, some parts of New York are very Republican. I mean, I've got no idea. Um, But I think the bottom line is it doesn't hurt Trump at all, and he made that point on CNN. He is... He's completely dominating the polls. And I don't see how this will hurt him whatsoever. I saw a, a
0: piece um, a few days ago, you on Sky News Australia, talking about how pretty much, I think you said, pretty much every large corporation in the US has gone woke. Now, we all know that saying, mm. go woke, go yes. broke. And we know what happened to Bud, right? Mm. And uh, I think Nike has about a billion dollars worth of Kanye West shoes that they can't sell now. Um so, what, every large corporation? Is this something that's sort of like swept the corporate world hmm. in the US? Look, it
1: has. It has. And it's a really interesting issue. And I tried to get to the causes of it in that column I wrote a few weeks ago, Um You know, Bud is an extreme example, and I think they suffered from what they did. I mean, I think they definitely did. If you look at the facts, their sales dropped and there was a lot of public outcry.
0: Well, Um, sorry to interrupt, but apparently I've seen it. that They've got a new ad now playing, which is like horses and American flags and everything. Yes. Well, I'm sure they're trying
1: to compensate. Yeah, look, I'm sure they're trying to compensate. Yeah, They simply went too far with this uh, woman or a man, depending on your view, uh, Dylan Mulvaney, um, who, you know, I mean, hats off to, to her, him. I mean, he's making a fortune. <laughs> I mean, he's, uh, he's become a global celebrity and he's going to be set for the rest of his life. Um, but aside from that, the deeper issues, I think, if you look at, and, and the column I wrote, I looked at this academic paper, which came out recently from some economists at the University of Chicago who looked at the annual reports. Of I think the 200 biggest American companies from the 50s to now, it's a very long period of time. They used artificial intelligence to to pick up on words and themes in the annual reports. And I mean, yeah, this is there's no surprise, but I mean, basically, until the 1990s, none of this stuff was ever mentioned in annual reports. But there's been an explosion in the last three or four years of chairmen and CEOs telling their shareholders how you know how diverse they are, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know producing internal reports, and you know the the interesting question is why has this just suddenly happened and i don't i don 't have a definitive answer to this i don't think anyone does but but it 's interesting to explore why and i i think I posited some uh some explanations in that i mean uh you know i think i think one of the reasons is that uh left wing groups uh whether they 're individuals individual journalists or or The think tanks uh, tend to be a lot more vicious and aggressive than those on the other side, and if a company deviates from what is perceived as, you know, correct in relation to diversity and so forth, then those companies will be attacked viciously by those think tanks, whereas people on the right, especially libertarians, uh, they generally think that you should not attack the individual decisions of private corporations, and so so they tend to be silent right? Even if they disagree with the point, they tend to be silent. And so you've got this huge asymmetry, basically, which means there's an extraordinary anger from one side of politics, and more or less silence from the other, because these companies are nominally private. Um, And so that's one big factor, because, you know, no company, Pepsi, Coke, McDonald's, they don't want to be called bigots in public by think tanks. Very damaging gets on the news, you know, it gets in the mainstream news. You know, McDonald's is a bigot, blah blah blah. I mean, even if it's not, it's still the story. And so, I think these, you know, hard-headed managers say, "Okay, so this is the situation. So we need to, you know, we need to do this, this stuff. We need to have these reports. We need to be diverse." Um, and at the same time, I think most consumers just couldn't care less. Like they just, they just don't pay attention. They just want a hamburger, or they want shoes, or they whatever. So they're not even involved in this intellectual debate. Um, and, but, but even the more important reason, I think, is, and this is really something that does not get enough attention uh, in the mainstream press, because I think most journalists don't really understand it or, they, or they, don't, they don't know what's going on, is that if you go back to the 1950s, 1960s, uh, most shares of big companies were owned by individuals. They were owned by households, right, by people, right? Uh, now something like 20% of shares are owned by people. Right? It's a very small share. Yeah.
0: Right? So it's all hedge
1: so, funds and, and yes. funds under management. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes, so it's the Black Rocks, the Vanguards, hedge funds, uh, big superannuation funds, and they have a totally different incentive structure from ordinary people, right? So, I mean, for one, they have, they have the institutional capacity to vote Whereas most individual shareholders never voted because they just, you know, they got a letter in the mail, whatever, and throw it out, right? Because they just don't understand it all. But but these large shareholders, they have a view, they have an ideology, and they vote, right? I mean, they're holding the shares on behalf of other people, but they still have the voting rights, which is very powerful, right? So 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 most of the companies in the world, most of the big companies in the Western world, are owned by a fairly few. Uh, you know, a fairly small group of individuals really in practice, even if they're holding the shares on behalf of others. Right. And they are all beholden to this ESG, what I think is kind of a religion, um, and they put pressure on these companies. They have rankings. They criticise them if they deviate. Uh, so that's a massive pressure. So I think those two, those two factors I just said, uh, the shareholding situation and the think tank protest situation, I mean I think that 's what drives it because the, you know, the views um, you know the views that have been put out by large companies are so at odds with what ordinary people think i mean that's just surely that 's a fact right I mean surely that 's not in debate
0: no well, um, Bud, Budweiser will tell you that so so yes. that 's an extraordinary amount of power in the hands of very a very limited number of people, like Larry Fink of BlackRock and yes, a few others. But but yet they're willing to see, like, for example, but again, you know, a, a company take a huge hit like that and maybe it'll make them change. Well, the view, but-
1: look, I mean, I, you know, I, I think the woman that commissioned uh, Dylan Mulvaney was a fairly junior employee and, Maybe she's been sacked. I don't know. I think she apologized. Actually, I mean, I think I think at the very least she apologized. And in fairness to Bud, I think it wasn't a mainstream advertisement. It was a TikTok thing or something. And of course the right wing media, you know, blew it up into something crazy. Uh, which of course they do. That's that's what all media does. Um, so it's been very damaging to them. I mean, you know, my view is someone who's lived in the US for two years. Is that bud brand is strong enough they will they'll power through it, and as you suggested they'll run other ads with horses and things <laughs> which will um, you know which will cauterize the problem so they'll be fine uh, but you know the bigger issue is who is just the permeation of this of this kind of this ideology through large corporations which is uh, which is kind of extraordinary i mean it's um you know, a lot of these decisions, I mean, I, I wrote a column a few years ago which is very successful, I'm very proud of, is that, you know, we, we write so much in, in media about the government. You know, the government does this, government does that. But really most of our lives are governed by the decisions of private corporations, actually, not the government. I mean, it's the decisions of very big companies that affect our day-to-day lives much more than our politicians, actually. Uh and those decisions are being influenced by what I think is, you know, is an ideology, a religion almost, and it gets very, it gets very little attention. Adam,
0: and it's it's been great uh, chatting with you, uh, first time up. Hopefully, we can do it again because I think our audience is really interested with what's happening where you are. So, um, hopefully, come back at some point of, uh, in time. Thanks for Indeed. giving up um, some time after Nachos Thursday. Hopefully- <laughs> yes, yes. Hope we didn't interrupt that, you know.
1: No, it's fine. I'm just gonna have a quiet night in a couple of glasses of wine and go to bed. So uh, Okay. So thanks very much, Paul. It was good to talk and yes, look, I'm happy to do it again.
0: Okay, Adam, thank you.
1: Thanks, Paul. RCR with
0: Paul Brennan. Reality check radio.